tribe of Levi and why that matters. So uh, Numbers chapter 4, let me begin at uh, verse 1, and we'll begin working our way through this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take a census of the Kohathite branch of the Levites by their clans and families. Count all the men from 30 to 50 years of age who come to serve in the work at the tent of meeting. This is the work of the Kohathites at the tent of meeting, the care of the most holy things. When the camp is to move, Aaron and his sons are to go in and take down the shielding curtain and to put it over the ark of the covenant law. Then they are to cover the curtain with a durable leather, spread a cloth of solid blue over that, and put the poles in place. Over the table of the presence, they are to spread a blue cloth and put on it the plates, dishes, and bowls, and the jars for drink offerings. The bread that is continually there is to remain on it. They're to spread a scarlet cloth over them, cover that with the durable leather, and put the poles in place. They're to take a blue cloth and cover the lampstand that is for light, together with its lamps, its wick trimmers and trays, and all its jars for the olive oil used to supply it. Then they are to wrap it and all its accessories in a covering of the durable leather and put it on a carrying frame. Um, over the gold altar, they are to spread a blue cloth and cover that with the durable leather and put the poles in place. They're to take all the articles used for ministering in the sanctuary, wrap them in a blue cloth, cover that with a durable leather and put them on a carrying frame. And so on and on it goes. Now, here's the here's a couple of things that uh, is important for us uh, to understand about this. Um, we read these sorts of things and we see this kind of material in the Bible and we wonder how uh, and why God would give us such specific instructions uh, about uh, this sort of thing. And so what we could we, we, what we could be tempted to do here is to take each one of these pieces of furniture that you saw in the little model that, uh, uh, that Heather showed the kids and we could draw out all sorts of conclusions uh, that aren't really in the Bible, but sure sound interesting. Uh, there's a whole cottage in- industry among Christians where they take pieces of the uh, tabernacle and the temple and they talk about them and they develop them into all sorts of uh, things. Like why, why are the most holy things wrapped in blue? Some of you probably been taught that they were wrapped in blue because God has blue eyes. No. No, because uh, the sky is blue and God lives in the sky. But somehow or other, I didn't see that in the text, right? It's not, it's not in there, is it? Maybe, maybe it was blue because God said, the blue stuff is, is really holy. Don't touch it. <laughs> so whenever you see something that's blue, don't touch it. That's the lesson, right? Which, if you're going to touch the blue stuff, that's a pretty good lesson to know because if you mess up, you get killed, right? So, so as we look at this this morning, one of the things that we could do about this is, is we could get ourselves wrapped up about furniture and things and, and import all sorts of meaning to that. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is people. What I want to talk to you about this morning is the, the, the people that are doing this work. Because after all, what is happening here? The whole context of chapter 4 is a census, right? And so now we're up to the third census uh, in, the, uh, in the book of Numbers. The first census was all of the fighting men. 
Uh, the second census was for all of the Levites who would serve as redeemers. And now we're up to a third census, a second census of the Levites. So, so let's, let's talk about what the point of that is. Let's talk about what it is that they're supposed to do. And let's talk about how we can draw some conclusions about that uh, for our own, own lives today. So there's a second census of, uh, for the tribe of Levi, and this time for men aged 30 to 50. Now, remember, the previous uh, census was for all the, all the males, right? But this is for, for the men who are 30 to 50. And these men would be the workers involved in the movement, setting up, taking down uh, of the tabernacle. Now, 30 to 50, why is that, right? Uh, one commentator I read this week is because when, from 30 to 50 is the best years of your life. Yeah. The best years of your life. You're most productive. You're most useful. And they defended that by saying, remember, they didn't have penicillin. And remember, they didn't have uh, vaccinations. And so people died early. So a 50-year-old then would be like an 80-year-old now. So if you, if you want to think that, fine. I, I just think uh, for whatever reason, God chose this number uh, uh, and this age group for these uh, men to be engaged and involved in the moving, moving and the working uh, of the tabernacle. It was their job. Now, one of the things that's amazing about this is, is the detail that goes through this, that uh, about uh, what, what, what certain tribes, certain clans, the, the different things that they would carry, right? Now, uh, one of the things that runs through this is, is that every one of these people had a job. They had something that they needed to do. Recently, we, uh, after, uh, we've lived in our house now 24 years. It was built in 1978, and we really haven't changed anything in it. Uh, I graduated from high school in 1978, <clears throat> and so it's very comforting to be surrounded by things so familiar. Uh, but it, <laughs> but, but it, we needed to redo it. So we, we contacted this company to, to replace our cabinets, and it was amazing because they showed up at our house five minutes before they said they would. Amazing. And uh, they backed their truck up in the yard, and there were five or six of these guys got out, went to work. Not a one of them spoke a word of English. I tried to talk to them when they got out of their truck. They didn't want to talk to me. They weren't there to talk. They were there to put in my cabinets. They get out of my way. They came in the house. They looked around, thought about it, set up their little saw out in the yard, went to work, went to work. And what was amazing was that each piece that they took off the truck was in order. It came off in the order with which it was built in the house. Stunning. They took a lunch break. Eight minutes. Eight minutes. And they were back to work, and then they were done. And that was it. They got the job done. It was amazing, amazing. Uh, and uh, each one of these guys had a specific job that they did, and they did it over and over and over again. Now, it was hard to tell, for honestly, until the owner of the company showed up, I couldn't tell who was in charge. I guess somebody was in charge, but... 
but it was, it was very unclear. And one of the things that was amazing about it was everybody did what they were supposed to do. And if you didn't do what you were supposed to do, it would have really gummed the works up. So whether your job was to cut things or your job was to put the hardware on or whether your job was what to, to carry the boxes off the truck, everybody had their job and they did it. Amazing. It was so fascinating. So when I think about this uh, setup here with these three clans within the tribe of Levi, this is what I think of, that their whole job, each, each one of these men had a job. Now, your job might have been carrying the thing that was most holy, and your job might also have been carrying a tent pole. We'll talk about that more. Secondly, one of the things that we'll notice is that there was a distance to be observed as well as a color coding for the most important and holy objects. The priests dismantled and covered the most holy objects that were there in the Holy of Holies and the holy place uh, before anybody else could come in and touch them and move them. They took them down, they set it up, they wrapped them in the things that they were supposed to be wrapped in before anybody came in to move them. And they used blue and purple uh, colors uh, for the coverings. And so one of the things that you have to see about that is, as we, as we look at this, that there was supposed to be a distance, that you had to be careful about this. Now, we read this and we're like, oh, hum, this is so stupid. Everybody knows that God loves democracy. And, and as such, everybody has a right uh, and instant access to him all the time. It doesn't matter. He just he he is just sitting there loving the fact that everybody wants to interact with him, call him whatever they want to call him, approach him in any way that they want to approach him. It's so much better that we live in the New Testament age than the Old Testament age. Because this stuff is serious. Well, it is better. But let me tell you something. That God who was worshipped in that tabernacle and the God we are here to worship today, the same. It's the same. What changed? What changed is nothing. Except that we have a perfect sacrifice and a perfect high priest who shed his own blood to make it such that his people would know who this God was and have access to him. And so while we have access to him, unfettered access, wonderful access, not only access, but actual union with this God, we must never forget that it cost the blood of Jesus Christ to purchase that way for us, to make it so that we have this access. And so this God required that sins be atoned for. We have full atonement in Jesus Christ. This God required that there be redemption. We have full redemption in Jesus Christ. This God requires that, that, that in, in all of these ways that he must be approached in a certain way. We approach our God today. Whether you're consciousness, conscious of it or not, your approach to him has been opened by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you. And so in that sense, 
The, the, the reality is we don't have this kind of distance. And the reason why we don't have this kind of distance is because it has been perfectly bridged and a way has been made for us in, in Jesus Christ. But don't ever think that suddenly God has changed. He's still holy. He's still unique. Sin still is taken very seriously. Uh, and he has not become domesticated so that we can manipulate him and manage him in any way that we want. Next slide, please, Liz. So why was all of this necessary? Well, certainly it was to communicate holiness to the people of God. But the thing that you have to see about this is all of this stuff was necessary to protect the workers, but also for mobility. This is a people on the move. We must never forget that these instructions are for a pilgrim people for wanderers, they are on the move. That is something that you that you cannot uh, forget. They were they they were on the move, headed towards the promised land. And so we would think, well, we don't we don't need to be like that because we're settled. We're settled. We're settled. Does anybody in this room believe that Richmond is the promised land? Great craft beer, great restaurants, wonderfully gentrifying neighborhoods, a good economic base, and depending on your neighborhood, good education for your children. Basically a a decent, okay economy, roads that get you where you want to go, traffic, Listen, we don't have traffic in Richmond. Two clicks of the light and people in Richmond go crazy over traffic. But friends, this is not your home. Praise God. (laughs) Okay? And and I would submit to you that uh, one of the things that we have to come to grips with this as a people is that it is not our home. And and because it is not our home, when it seems like it's not our home, I can't then demand that it become my home. Okay? I can't be in a sense where I say, well, this is the place where I am settled. Recently, uh, in fact, last Sunday, Marty and I went out to the cemetery to to visit uh, some graves. And it's the cemetery where our plots are. we got plots. And so she asked me while we were out there, she's like, do you want to be buried here? And I was like, look, I'm training for a marathon. I'm in good health. Don't talk to me about these things. She's like, uh, you know, do I look bad? You know what? I, I'm trying to lose weight. Come on, give me a break. I'm trying to, to, trying to be healthy. She's like, do you want to be buried here? And I thought, you know, that's kind of weird, right? Because that seems kind of permanent. <laughs> Right. I mean, I guess she could come dig me up and put me in the backyard if she missed me, you know, but the but the fact is that seems kind of permanent. Well, you know what? It's not permanent. That's such a dumb thing. Really? Does it matter? I mean, it's convenient. We got a plot. She can stick me in it when the time comes. But you know what? I'll come out of that plot one day. I'm not going to be in there forever. Right. So so as we look at this, as we think about it, this is a challenging thing for us. You know, it is, it is hard for us to think of the fact 
Because we attach ourselves to places and to things in such dramatic ways in this life that it keeps us from having a sense of this is really not my home and I should not demand that it be my home. That in fact, the people of God are moving towards, are looking for a city whose builder is God. And that's my true home. And so any kind of temptation that I think, you know, there are there are intimations of that and hints of that in the place where I live now. But this is not my ultimate home and I need to hold it loosely. People in America today, uh, ironically, move less than ever before. Did you know that? Hard to believe that in some ways because we've been told that people move a lot. But across the country, if it weren't for immigrants coming to our country, most of us wouldn't uh, ever move at all. Um, an example of that, if you, if you wonder about that, it used to be that people moved because of economic opportunity all the time, looking for something better. Um, but uh, in America today, people just think about all the folks that live around coal mines that are closed and compare that to all the towns out west that are empty now that are around mines that don't exist anymore. Those people moved to find something better. Well, the fact is, God has something better. Don't believe the lie that this place is it. We are a people on the move. We are a pilgrim people bound for something much, much better. Um, Next, there's no room for pride in the assignment of duties. So when you read this text, what you might be tempted to think is that the, the people of Kohath, because they get to move the really cool stuff like the Ark of the Covenant and, and the, the table with the bread on it and all that kind of stuff, that they're more important uh, than the Merariites who might have a tent peg or a cross piece or, or something like that. But here's the thing. The point of this is that every one of those people has an important job because if you think, you know what, this cross piece here or this tent peg doesn't really matter and I'm going to be slipshod about it, I'm going to forget about it and I'm not going to bring it and I'm not going to put it because it really doesn't matter. What really matters is the Ark of the Covenant. Then what's going to happen is is that the tabernacle is not going to get built and you're not going to have the, the, the it done the way in which God desires for it to do. So every one of these people has a job and no one job is more important than the other. We know in the New Testament we read where Paul says that one part of the body does not take priority over another part of the body. I, the, <clears throat> the hand can't say uh, to the, the foot, I don't need you, right? Uh, we all need that. Now, we, it's hard for us to believe that. It's hard for us to understand that. But think of it this way. Well, we think, well, Moses and Aaron, clearly they were the most important because they're the ones that, that heard from God and spoke f- for God. Well, if everybody heard from God and spoke from God and nobody picked up the tent peg, they never move. They'd never get anywhere. They would just be a bunch of people sitting around hearing from God talking. And, and the point of picking this thing up and setting it up and moving it, they'd never get to it. So there can't be any kind of pride of assignment. And listen, I want to, I want to say this, and I know this, this, this is, this is kind of strong medicine for us, uh, because, um, one of the things that, that, that this communicates to us is, that we have a place in the, in the people of God because of the work of Christ, because we've been named, because we belong to him, because we're in the family. But we also have a place in the people of God because we have a job to do. 
that in the mercy and the love of God, he gives things for his people to do. And I, and I want to be very clear about this, that one of the ways you have a sense that you belong to the people of God is that you have a job to do. There's something here that he's given you to do for the functioning of the body. And, and whatever that thing is, it is something that is important that God has given to you for the complete and whole functioning of the body. We talk a lot. And, and if I don't mean this to be offensive. This is, this is just my heart here. We talk a lot about connection. We talk a lot about connection. These people are connected because they have a job to do that God has given them for the functioning of the body. Now, I've wondered about this. So when I've got the Y cross beam and Kevin's got the Z cross beam and we go and we pick those up and we're carrying those, do we talk about our cross beams to each other? Do we, do we talk about the, the experience that we have when we're doing that? I think so. I think we talk about a lot of things, but our connection is not the fact that we're talking so much as that we belong to one another. We belong to this Lord. And because we do that, he has given us this job to do and we do it because that's what he's given us to do. You see, that's a hard message for Americans. It's a hard message for Westerners, because what we think is my my purpose here is to find my purpose. But what, but, but, and that's good, and there's value, and, and you have gifts, and you should find those. But the point of you finding your gifts, and the point of you finding these things, is not so that you'll be fulfilled, but so that the body will function the way it's supposed to. So that the tabernacle gets picked up and moved in an efficient, orderly, and loving way. That's the point. So my connection here is that I belong to this great thing that God is doing and my job in that and my connection to this is I carry this tent peg. I love my tent peg. You should love it too. Because without this tent peg, the tabernacle doesn't get built. Now I can tell looking into your faces, you're not buying it. That's okay. Because what we falsely believe, we fall into this trap all the time, is that somehow or other, there are things that are more important. And there is some sort of inner circle of the most important. And then there's the outer rings of the less important. That's unbiblical and frankly, ungodly. The reality is, that God calls his people together. He gives them this task. And this is what they do. Every one of these people, in fact, all of the people of God, the people from Asher and Dan and Reuben, they were to raise crops and raise animals and, and do economic things and, and to be in the army. Everybody had what they were supposed to do so that the people of God would get where they were going. Think about that. Next, um, 
One of the things that you see repeated in this text over and over again is, like in verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron. Then in verse 21, the Lord said to Moses. And then in verse 29, uh, to, that the Lord said this to count the Merorites and their clans, right? And one of the things that you see about this is, is that Moses and Aaron counted them according to the Lord's command through Moses. That's repeated three times. And then at the end, we read, at the Lord's command through Moses, each was assigned his work and told what to carry. Thus, they were counted as the Lord commanded Moses. You know what's remarkable about this? God told a group of people to do something. And lo and behold, they did it. That doesn't happen very often, does it? God said, do this, and they did it. God said, do this, and they did it. That is a remarkable thing for us to see and to understand about this. And as we'll see about this particular group of people, God told them to do other things and at other times, and they didn't do it. So here's the thing. Here's the thing that we have to, that we have to see about this is, is that when, when our God speaks, especially not just the God who is in the midst of his people in the tabernacle, but the God who speaks to us, who dies our death and rises again for us, the God who is our eternal home, the God who is at work in us to shape us more and more into his image, that he speaks and he speaks clearly to us, most clearly to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. Are we people who are soft towards that, willing towards that, and people who out of the, our understanding of how much this God loves us and how much he, he is for us, I'm, I'm going to do this because this is what the Lord has commanded, Right? Now, that, that is, that is such a, a remarkable thing for us because it is, it is hard for us to see and hard for us to understand often exactly, um, how to do that. And because we are big believers in grace and because we are hang, our life is built upon the mercy of God, we sometimes are tempted to think it really doesn't matter. But it is a profound thing. When we read and we see, this person took what God said seriously, and they did it. And they did it. Right? Next slide. So why is all of this stuff in the Bible? Why is it important to know that the priests need to go into the Holy of Holies and pick this stuff up and wrap the blue around it and then wrap the durable leather, I would like I wonder how the durable leather, I like <laughs> the durable leather. I, I wish we had more durable leather in the church, actually. I think that's pretty funny. But why, 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 is, that, why is that so important? Well, this is telling us something about the nature of our God, that our God's a God of order and that he has certain expectations uh, about the way he will be worshipped and the way he will be approached. Now, he doesn't do this because he's, he's ticklish or he's, he's difficult. He does that because this order serves his greater purpose of love. We serve a God of order. Order is important to him, but love is of his essence. 
And so that his love may be communicated and clearly demonstrated among the people. He gives very clear instructions about the order whereby these things are to be done so that the people can see and experience the love of God to them in the clearest and fullest way. And that's exactly what he's getting at here in this text. Because just as this place is not our home and just as this this uh, 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 situation that we're in, that we are moving towards something else, the place that we are moving is this place where we will see no temple, no tabernacle, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. That's our ultimate home. That's our ultimate sanctuary. That's our ultimate holy of holies. That's our ultimate place of worship. So all of these things that God is doing is preparing his people, preparing us, leading us. All of the things that you deal with in your life now, the struggles, the, the, the challenges, the assignments, if you will, that God gives you are there leading you providentially to be prepared for this, that you will live with him and he will live with you face to face forever and ever and ever. That's where all this is headed. And that's why it's important for us to see and to kind of come to grips with this, the very nature of God. It's startling to read this and to think this God who required everything be wrapped and packed in a certain way is the same God that I worship now. That's worth thinking about. That's worth understanding. And that's worth coming to grips with the nature of the atoning work of Jesus for you. Let's look to him in prayer. Lord, we, we confess that this is difficult and challenging for us. We confess that uh, <clears throat> this kind of order uh, is, uh, well, frankly, for many of us, confusing. Lord, forgive us for believing that some jobs uh, in, your, in and among your people matter more than others. Forgive us for thinking that somehow or other the work that we do is disconnected from our place uh, in uh, your uh, body. Help us to come to grips with that. Lord, forgive us for uh, thinking that somehow or other we could approach you without uh, the righteous work that Jesus has done on our behalf. Lord, we confess that um, we are not often like these people who see your clear word and yet uh, are quick to forget it and quick to move on. Lord, I pray that you would be gracious to us, that you be merciful to us, and that your grace and your mercy would strengthen and encourage us that it would draw us uh, deeper into more fuller fellowship with you. But I pray as well, Lord, that uh, we would value the shed blood of Jesus Christ for us, who has opened an eternal way to know you and to be known by you. Lord, thanks uh, for this book. Thanks uh, for these texts. And I pray that by your spirit, uh, you would use them to have your way in our hearts and our lives. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, as the guys.